I want to share with you tonight about Freedom Fighter. It is May 4th, 2016, LCM, no longer LCMF. It's a good night. So who here has ever heard the term Freedom Fighter in a movie, on the news? Freedom fighter is an interesting word. There are a lot of things that are subjective, that are based upon your perspective. And there's a phrase that's developed about the term freedom fighter. They say, people describe a freedom fighter are often also called assassins, rebels, insurgents, terrorists. This leads to their aphorism, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. The degree to which this occurs depends on a variety of factors specific to the struggle in which a given freedom fighter or group is engaged in. I pulled that right from Wikipedia. So just hold on to that concept. The idea that I may call myself a freedom fighter, but from your perspective, it looks like a terrorist, or vice versa. We hear things about radical Islam in the news. We hear things about terrorists, insurgents. When you see the interviews, they say that I'm a freedom fighter, that I'm fighting for Allah, that I'm fighting to repel this governmental force that is oppressive, that is wicked, that doesn't submit to Sharia law. Freedom fighter and terrorist, those are names that you see in the news a lot, that is a part of popular culture. But tonight, I would like to share what the biblical perspective on that is. So let's go to Isaiah. I've been reading the book of Isaiah, and uh, I love the Word of God. There's so, it's a 70-sided jewel. Isaiah has confused me. It's caused me to study, 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 read over the same chapter more times than any other book I've read. And I love it every time. Isaiah 66. Let's go to the fifth verse. Who here loves the Word of God? Amen. Who is in love with it? It's changed your life. Amen. So I remember when I first read from Samuel through Chronicles, contiguously. And when I finished, I was grieved. I watched, I felt like I watched the things that Solomon and David built together, the temple laid, and then it was all destroyed because of the people that didn't hold fast to what God had laid out. And now we see Isaiah, a man that was fit for the time and completely out of place, an alien and a stranger, if you will. And in the 66th chapter, the fifth verse, he speaks about this. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and exclude you because of my name. Nasby says, in my name have said, let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. Yet they will be put to shame. Hear that uproar from the city. Hear that noise from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all that they deserve. There was a time that we were what you would consider an infant church. I remember very, very fondly seeing Matt come in. 
I watched my dad working to build the church, working to build the church. He enclosed the garage. We had family that, you know, they said that we're with you, blood family, that had completely abandoned, pulled out ship and said it wasn't possible, that this could not occur. And then the P-Rose came. And I watched what it did for my father. It gave him that encouragement and strength to continue on and to complete what the Lord had called him to do. And somehow, ever so often, kept popping back in. And eventually, the Lord brought him back here to pastor the church permanently. We're in a place where the Lord has genuinely achieved something, not in the structure or building, but in the hearts and minds of people, in the souls. The one association is being formed. We see churches have been planted from this body, overseas as well as inside the United States. Israel is not just a family anymore. It's not just 70 people. It's beginning to affect the nations. What God planted as such a little seed has grown and grown and grown in this room. The tendency always is that false brothers get worked in, that little foxes, like Wade spoke about, get worked in. See, because the devil realizes when something is effective, when it is changing the world that he's trying to influence. And his very deepest desire is to steal your calling, to destroy your life, and if he can, kill you completely. And I'm standing in a room that is filled with people that are God-ordained ministers of the gospel. Some in fivefold ministry, some overseas, and some called up be pillars of faith in this church that create the culture and atmosphere that has trained us all. And what the devil would like to do most is work in these little things, these little foxes that might steal from what you're called to accomplish. And we see Isaiah here. He says, your brothers who hate you in my name, but say, let the Lord be glorified. I don't know why. When I read that, it stuck out to me. I contemplated it. I contemplated it. I, I continued reading, and I came back to it almost a week later. And I didn't know why. Then I began to think of Matthew 7, the 21st verse. Let's turn there. Who here knows Matthew 7.21. Is that a scripture you're familiar with? A few of you. Okay. Yes. Steve. Steve's familiar with it. All right. There. 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 It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I knew about this scripture. I have preached on this scripture. And I don't think that I ever fully understood this scripture. <laughs> Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things that seems like it would take the power of God to accomplish? Lord, did we not accomplish these things? I was sitting in Baja's shop, and any time I get the opportunity to, I sneak on in there just to talk with him for a little while. And I asked him about the scripture. And what he said, it agreed with me, and I'd never really considered it quite the way that he said it before. He said, Judah, haven't you seen ministers that are filled with the power of the gospel, anointed men, spirit-filled, that you find running off and sin with a secretary. These are men that claim, Lord, Lord, that have seen the miraculous, that have seen healings, 
And yet, that's what's going to be said about them. And it's true. And I, I, I really, that gave me enlightenment on the scripture. And I began to think about this. How, how does this work? Because we all say, Lord, Lord, in here. Many of us have seen the miraculous. And I'm not satisfied with all that I've seen. I want more. So what is that? That is those foxes that spoil the vine. The sooner that that can be identified and dealt with, the better. We see all through the epistles, all through Paul's writings, he's constantly dealing with some unseen false brother. Sometimes it's the super apostles. Sometimes it's the group of the circumcision. But he's always addressing something that is trying to snatch at the pure body of Christ. And I see he's standing and sitting before me. Now, we know that the Word of God is a contiguous revelation. We hear that preached in here. We hear it preached in here. I had no idea what the biblical context for many scriptures just like this that I am familiar with is found in, where it's found in the Old Testament. So who? Who said they were familiar with Matthew 7? We got a hand, got a hand. Who's familiar with Matthew 12, where it speaks about who are my mothers, who are my brothers, who's my sister? Many of you have lost family for the sake of the gospel. Many of you have had divided households that you've had to watch patiently come over for the sake of the gospel. A lot of us are still praying for some. I know that scripture. I've spoken about that scripture to relatives who don't understand this atmosphere, what has been created right here, as precious as it is. When I say Pharisee, what do you think? Hypocrite. Paul himself was a Pharisee and he's before and after Christ, and he said it. I'm not here to argue about whether or not the Pharisees and the way that we see their actions displayed in the Word were hypocritical. Matthew 6 is about the Pharisees and their hypocritical way of life and their religious nature. And that's so familiar with you that as soon as I say the word Pharisee, what comes immediately to mind is hypocrite. What I'm getting at here is that there's a lot of stories inside of the New Testament especially and the Gospels that we're very familiar with, that we've even learned to apply in our own lives and our family. But sometimes we see just a small portion of what the Lord had intended and then to no special prowess of our own, a light bulb goes off and remembers something from a long time ago. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 13. Steve, you got your complete new Jewish? I did. All right. There. I might have you read some of this. There. 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 Let's start in the first verse. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder... And if the sign or wonder which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. So, we have the law, the prophets, the writings. You familiar with this? Say it with me. Law, prophets, writings. So in the law of the Older Testament, we have Deuteronomy 13. It says, if a prophet or dreamer, someone who does miraculous signs, comes to you and says, 
I want you to deviate from the standard. I want you to add something to the Word of God. I want you to follow a God that you've never known. The one, not the one that took you out of Egypt, but one of this land and this earth that you're living in. Kill him. We'll continue reading. Deuteronomy 13, right here. That connection just suddenly snapped. Lord, Lord, and yet you're not going to enter the kingdom. I perform miracles, and yet I'm not going to enter the kingdom. Let's keep reading in Deuteronomy 13. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and Him you must keep revere, keep His commands and obey Him, serve Him and hold fast to Him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he preached rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. He has tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. All right, thanks, Judah. We know exactly what to do now. If a prophet you know, walks in here and he starts performing miracles and he says, worship that goat. We got it. Appreciate it. It really applies to my life. How many times do we see something that looks like outward success that professes the name Lord, Lord, and we accept it? And if your mind's drifting and you're thinking of whatever prosperity preacher you would like to sub in, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. How many times in your own life have we said the words, Lord, Lord, there's been a demonstration of some kind of godly fruit, and yet we assume that I'm adhering to the standard that I'm following after exactly what God spoke to me. Wade and Matt have spoken on the last two Monday nights and from righteousness and wisdom to what faithfulness looks like. And it seems to be that the consensus is being led of the Holy Spirit and holding to it with an integrity is pleasing to the Father and there is no other way. Who in here has been spoken to the, the Lord, has spoken to you at some point in time? either audibly, through His Word, through the church, about what you should be doing. If you're here, I would hope at least that He's spoken to you about staying in this seat as long as He's told you to. <laughs> Ever so subtly, the things that God has spoken, the, the devil tries to weave a fox in here and there. But the Lord warns in advance. And he says, miracles, that's not it. Those who profess, Lord, Lord, that's not it. It's where my spirit leads and it adheres to exactly what I told you, just like Abraham. I promised this would occur. Natalie gave a word in here tonight that said, the Lord is not slow as we think of slowness. He's coming through in His promises. I feel as if some of the call of God, not long, you, you know long term, the Lord is going to bring it about, but you feel as if what He's called you to do right now in your daily life is kind of being stolen from you. I look on your faces and many of you today you did not have a day that you feel like was the one that Jesus is going to say, well, well done, my son. What is trying to be stolen? Trying, what is right there that is so precious that could easily be stolen? We know that we're supposed to rejoice always. And yet most of you walked in here like beaten dogs, like somebody that had been flogged. Why is that? We're supposed to be the overcoming church of Jesus Christ. The joy of our salvation. But he's got it right. You see, we can't let anything steal from us. Not what God has entrusted. Material possessions, let it go. It's not worth anything anyway. Amen. But what God has spoken, it will come to pass. 
The question is, will we be faithful to see that happen? He is not slow. It's in perfect timing, just like it was for Abraham. He is not slow in bringing about what the Lord has called for your life, Rob. He is not slow in bringing about what He's called for your life, Lindsay. What God has given to the men and women in this room will come about if we are faithful. Let's keep going. So keep a finger in Deuteronomy 13. Let's stay in Deuteronomy. Let's read the sixth verse, and we'll move back to the New Testament afterwards. If your very own brother, or your son or daughter, or the wife you love, or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, Let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your fathers have known, gods of the people around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to them, or listen to them, Show him no pity. Do not spare him or shield him. You must certainly put him to death. Your hand must be first in putting them to death. And in the hands of all the people. Stone him to death because he tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid. No one among you will do such an evil thing again. Who in the room can say, Slavery is a detestable thing. Especially the practice of slave trading. Men who enslave other human beings for a living. You see how kindly God takes it when men advocate going back to the way of slavery. When men advocate putting God's people in chains. Now, I know about Matthew 12. But let's read it just again for a minute because I, I know that you've heard it in church. That you may have even quoted it to a relative. But read it again with me. Let's start in 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd. His mother and brother stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. That has been a beautiful scripture. We've been blessed in my family to have some that served the Lord, that supported what God was doing. The vast majority have been nowhere to be found, and I've grown up with men that have been my family. Matthew Piro, Wade Sutherland, they've been my family because the gospel ordained it. And it didn't really matter what happened to any blood family. Steve and Charlie, they have been my family. God has added to me family in there, Regina's, that marriage is the least thing that binds us. Inside of our own family and our own households, just like the song our song speaks about inside of one household, sometimes the devil works to add a little fox. And it shows up in things like 
a feeling of entitlement that you don't know where really where it came from. And what do you mean by entitlement? I feel like I have a right to be tired. I have a right to be tired now. Consequently, I'm not going to get that much out of what's happening because in my flesh I have a right to be tired. Or I know that God's plan for my life will eventually happen. But I'm okay with backing off of it for a little while. See, we're not allowed to tolerate any amount of deviance. It didn't start with a wife, with a brother, with a son saying, let's go worship a foreign god. It started with the head of a household not correcting the smallest areas of sin that start in a heart issue, a demeanor. Wade spoke this Sunday about internal woes and external foes. If we leave little internal woes inside of the most precious things that God has given us, it produces death eventually. It turns that corner. So how does that relate to what Matthew 12 speaks about in Jesus? Those who are family are those who do the will of the Father, those who are led of the Spirit. And we have a responsibility to those that are entrusted to us to ensure that not just you, but they obey the will of the Father on a daily basis so that we reach what we're called to. The standard is set so high. The idea that I'm responsible for another sin, that I'm responsible for something else. Those of you with children know exactly what I'm speaking about. Those of you that have participated even a little bit in ministry know a whole lot more what I'm talking about. To stand and be responsible for this room and you watch what comes in, that's a, that's a burdensome thing sometimes. Because in one sense, you can't choose to make someone follow the Lord. In another sense, they've been entrusted to you. A pastor is a shepherd and he'll be given account for every sheep. Make their job a joy. Wives, make your husband's job a joy. Husbands, make your work to the Lord something that is so joyful, so radiant, that it causes those that are beneath you to want to follow it and want to emulate it. Sometimes I get frustrated about something that I see in my beautiful dove. And I realize, am I angry about an attitude or something that I've seen? And I've spent a large portion of my day just doing what needs to be done and that joy of the Lord hasn't been radiating from me, and yet I expect to see it when I got home. As we come in here now, are we expecting the heavens to move, but we've been just doing what needs to be done all day? What I want to speak to you tonight is about an expectation for the way that life should look. It's not supposed to be ordinary. It's not supposed to be dreary. Wednesday nights are not supposed to be something that are difficult. I'm proud of the men and women in this room. I don't want it to sound any other way. I know good friends of mine that should be in here, and they couldn't even make it. It's not because there was some supernatural act. It's because a battle in between here and here was lost. And at least you're in here. So while you're here, what are you going to leave with? What is your expectation? Am I going to advance the kingdom of God in my brother's lives so that when they walk out of here tomorrow, the kingdom goes even a little bit further? a little bit further? Are we just going by from task to task? Let's keep reading in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. 
I remember watching several waves that seemed to happen in the church. And one was the people that are in Chicago right now. Um, their lives at one point, there was a transition where we're beginning to be wholeheartedly in love with the Lord. We're throwing out all compromise. And eventually, there was a transition where we're learning to emulate what the pastors are doing. And to some degree, growing in a proficiency of it that increases outside of these walls. And now, they're pastors in Chicago. Watch the same thing happen with what's in D.C. and Victoria. There's a lot of men and women in this room that have ministry callings. It doesn't specifically pertain to just being somewhere else. There's a lot of men and women in this room. Everyone is called to be a minister of the gospel and to be pouring out into the congregation that God has placed them in. So when you look around the room, you have a responsibility. Daniel and I have a responsibility. The Lord has allowed me some interaction with him and JJ in our job. And because we have that connection that is based upon work, we check in more often with each other. I care how he's doing during the day, and he does me, because we want each other to succeed in the body of Christ. But do I really need a job connection to make me wonder about what's going on in Frank's day? Let's develop a culture and an expectation that I need my brothers and my brothers need me, and I will die to see my brother's vision fulfilled. We've watched it emulated long enough. Let's take it into our own hearts. I want to die to see John's vision fulfilled. Start reading the 12th verse. The man who shows contempt for the judge or for the... I'm in the wrong chapter. Page flipped. If you hear it said about one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you to live in, that wicked men have arisen among you and have led the people of their town astray, saying, Let us go and worship the gods, gods you have not known. And then... You must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true, and it has been proved that this detestable thing... You should take special note of anything that God says is detestable. There's a lot of words. Dislike, you know, not God's best for you, I don't prefer, even hate. Then we go to detestable. Detestable thing has been done among you. You must certainly put to the sword all who live in that town. Destroy it completely, both its people and its livestock. Gather gather all the plunder of the town into the middle of the public square and completely burn the town and all its plunder as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It is to remain a ruin forever, never to be rebuilt. So we see an example all throughout the Word where... We're searching for leaven, and we take it, and what you do with it is you burn it. I'm sure that it never creeps back in. The law that was laid out for Israel was that anywhere that you find men that are trying to incite a town to rebellion against God, and so bringing judgment on the whole town, you have to remove it completely. Anything that they've touched, remove it completely and burn it. 
offense, slander, those things, they're like yeast. They work in dough. Especially, consider what you tolerate about speaking the pastoral staff, about what's happening in the church. Consider your ways, how you speak about it. Now, let's take it on a slightly more personal level. In your own heart, do you tolerate things that are contrary to what God has called you to accomplish? Because I've let things that are supposed to be a ministry joy become a burden. I've had to repent to wait. Cares director. We did this to advance the gospel, and yet somehow it just became another event. Why am I okay with that? In the way that you speak inside of your own home, do you allow things that are seditious in your speech to what God has called you to do? Do you allow things that spread like wildfire? Or is that something that when you recognize, you remove it and you burn it up? Say, no, we don't tolerate this. This is out. Lord, I repent. I don't want any of this in my heart. See, right now, we're at a place where the Lord has developed fruit. We have to be careful not to let mold tarnish. We have to be careful not to let a worm get in and destroy it. Because then it no longer is pleasing. Because I believe that this church is pleasing to the King of Kings. Frank, that your life is pleasing to the King of Kings. And I don't want anything to take that from him. Because it is glorious. What I want you to do is think about the way that we conduct ourselves on your daily basis, daily life what we tolerate inside of our homes, and what our expectation for the body at large is. It's almost like one life, one family, one nation is supposed to be applied. It's not just an axiom. It's derived from the Word, and it's all through it. Wade mentioned that at a Bible study a while back, and uh, I don't know. It's one of those things that I've heard, 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 and all of a sudden, since he's mentioned it, it's coming alive over and over in the Word. You have a personal responsibility to make sure that you tolerate nothing that is deviating from the standard of God. You have a personal responsibility that the same happens in your family so that we can reach the nations. All right, let's keep moving. So let's go back to Matthew 7. We just read about a few wicked men that rose up. 15th verse, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothingly, but they are inwardly, they are ferocious. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. Even now, I can see some men that should have been here, but weren't. Because they got choked out before they even entered the doors. Take note of the schemes of the enemy. Commit yourself to God. Entrust yourself to God and resist the devil. Make an active, conscious effort to resist depression. I'm only grubs during the day. An active resistance was the idea that I'm just going to come and sit. No, you have something to contribute. Who here is filled with the Holy Spirit? We have the Spirit of the living, almighty God 
dwelling and brimming inside of you. Who here can honestly say that you really have nothing to contribute? I value what Peyton has to say. I value what Mandy has to say. I value what Alex has to say. And even more than that, I value everything that the Holy Ghost pushes out of their lives, whether it be prophecy, whether it be a word of encouragement or a correction. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. Look out for these false prophets. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by that fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Man. I had a, someone asked me a few days ago, honestly, what does it mean to obey the will of the Father? And in a very general sense, I knew the answer to that. But it caused me to think about it for a minute. The only thing that matters at the end of the day is if we obeyed what the Father told us to do. Whether we feel like a success, not a success. In this man's case, it meant that he was going to have to risk a very physical punishment now for an inheritance in the future. But as we sit here as men who have seen the miraculous, who can profess Lord, Lord, make sure that you're obeying the will of the Father to the fullest. Narrow is that way. Almost all of the parables, all of Jesus' teachings, they relate to those that are inside the house of God. He says things like, narrow is the way. Only a few will be saved. I want to encourage you, press in. I feel like we're on the edge of something if we want it tonight. That at the same time, only a few will get it. Inside of the house of God, you can leave here having seen the miraculous come from your own hands or you can be satisfied with where you're at, go sleep and have seen nothing. When we lay on hands, buddy and Kim, I expect that we will see prophecy. I expect that the Holy Spirit will anoint them for what's to come. And I have no doubt that He will sustain them. The thing that I don't know is how much of that will you participate in? Because I know some men will, but will everyone in the room give it their wholehearted effort, give it everything that they have, share in the sufferings of Christ together to see a little bit of that glory advance tonight? I want to see the Lord move on their behalf because I care for my brother. Do you want to see the Lord move on their behalf? Go to 1 Peter 2 with me.
starting the 21st verse. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For we were like sheep going astray. But now you have turned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Will somebody put Isaiah 53 on the screen for me? What it means to obey the will of the Father. We're going to keep scrolling through it. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten, and by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. What if the will of the Father is for you to crush something tonight? It's crush that desire to be right, to crush that feeling that I'm entitled to be tired, to crush that desire to limit your expectations so that you don't fall short. What I want to tell you is if you stretch out to the death of your flesh, expecting to see God move, at the very least you'll have died a man who tried. And I know a God that comes through for those that are willing to try. Matthew 25 speaks about a parable of talents. The wicked and the lazy servant was the one that failed to even try. But those that were willing to reach out, his grace is sufficient for. Reach out in faith tonight. Reach out in faith in what God has called your family to do. And God will be there to meet you and cause it to multiply. The worst thing that you could do is in fear choose not to step out and try and prophesy. The worst thing you could do is in fear choose to just accept something less than what God has ordained your day for. See, I'm fighting right now for your freedom. I don't want you to live a day that is held in bondage. I don't want you to live a day that is not filled with the joy of the Lord. What I need you to do is to begin to despise those chains to begin to despise a way of life. See, a freedom fighter is someone who fights against an authority or a government that, in his opinion, is oppressive. If you're aligned with the government, then you say he's a terrorist. He's a rebellious man. There's a place for right emotions. There's a time for Jesus to be angry and a time for him to weep. And there is a time for that same kind of rebellious heart that says, I'm just not going to accept this. It's not okay with me anymore. It says, I expect to see something move today. I expect to see someone set free. 
A good friend of mine had a revelation once on a Friday night that Jesus spent 40 days in the desert just being tempted. But on the last day, he saw the devil flee. Sometimes we don't get to see the dead raised every hour. Sometimes it doesn't look exactly like you wanted it to. But what it looks like to be a freedom fighter is to wage a war that feels as if it's unwinnable, trusting that the King of Kings will come through for you in just a very little while. The Lord is not slow in His coming. He is not slow in His coming for what He has ordained your family to do in ministry. He is not slow in coming. What I want to encourage you tonight is to have that same kind of freedom fighter mentality that says, I am rebelling against this world system. Everyone that I come in contact with, I'm going to give you an opportunity to leave it. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be free. And you can take it or leave it, but I'm not going to fail to try. I'm not going to fail to demonstrate what it looks like for my home so that I can be a model for those who believe. I'm not going to fail to demonstrate what freedom in Christ truly should look like. I'm reminded of a story in Jeremiah. I think it's the 35th chapter. Who knows about the sons of Rechab? Anybody know? The sons of Rechab. Daddy got drunk, made some mistakes. He said, sons, never drink. Never live inside of a built house. Stay in a tent. He gave them certain peculiar laws. And through the generations, they followed it. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he was told... Go bring these sons in. Set bowls of wine before them. And they said, no. Our fathers told us not to. Their zeal for what was spoken to them generations ago so outpaced that of the Israelites that God used them as an example. See, I'm not okay with radical Islam being the only ones in the news. I'm not okay with them being the only ones with the title freedom fighter. I assure you, Nick's in the news in India. I assure you that Justin's in the news. The desire is not to gain fame or popular attention. It's to go so contrary to the flow of society that someone notices what is different about this man, what is different about this human being. Are we okay with followers of a pedophile prophet being more committed to their cause than we are? I'm not okay with that. I don't want them to be called extreme and me be called moderate. What an insult that would be. Balanced Christians... I would rather be out of my mind than be considered balanced, be considered moderate, to be considered living a very quiet, well-thought-out, wise life. I have an unfortunate but dearly loved family member that believes that the gospel really is about good business and good morals. And that's, that's it. You know, I love him, but he's deceived, beyond all doubt. And you know that that's not true. You know that that is not true for your life. But some days, are there hours that go by that that's all you expect to see? Is that you keep morality and that you succeed in whatever you're putting your hands to? See, I want to raise an expectation in the room that what you are called to do will begin to happen here and now if you want it to. Entrust yourself to God. Expect there to be a fight. Expect there to be resistance. Expect there to be adversity and false brothers that are trying to work in, that are trying to cut off a family member, that are trying to cut off someone in the church. But if we don't tolerate it, the body advances. 
and it abounds instead of abandoning. Zeke preached a fantastic message on that if you want to look it up. Turn with me to Galatians 4. We'll start moving quicker because we want to have as much time as we need for communion and Buddy and Kim. Four, we're going to start in the 28th verse. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way was persecuted. By the son born by the... Ordinary way was persecuted. The son born by the power of the Spirit is in the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. At all costs, do not let yourself be burdened again. Let it start in your life. Let one life refuse slavery again. Then refuse slavery in your own home. And we don't have to refuse, accept slavery anywhere else. If we learn to do it in our life, and you learn to do it in what God has entrusted to you, you replicate the same pattern everywhere that you go whether it's a ministry, whether it's a job, whether it's someone that he's put you in contact with, we do not have to accept the bonds of slavery anymore. Get rid of the slavery in your life. Get rid of anything that is attached to that old man. Refuse it. Then you can look at a man who is just bound in it and tell him that there really is freedom. Briefly, I want to go with a couple examples of men that set slaves free. But very specifically, from more than one kind of slavery. Go to Exodus 3-7 with me. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Notice there that what God had called them to receive, there was something there that must be removed first. Keep going. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God has always been concerned about the slavery of his people. And there has always been a slave master and a group of degenerates that are unwilling to change that have to be removed for the right thing to be planted. What of that is left in your own life? What of that has the Lord called you to remove in those that you're around, though these are trusted to you the most closely? And then out to Samaria. See, I feel an obligation to be my brother's keeper. 
And yet, somehow, that age-old saying, am I my brother's keeper, replays in our thoughts, even if it doesn't come out in our speech. We should expect that we keep slavery out of everyone that we care about in a very physical sense as well as the spiritual. We are called to be a freedom fighter, one who is unwilling to accept slavery, not just for your own life, but for the people's sake. One who fights an oppressive power for the sake of an oppressed people. I've spent enough time oppressed, and I'm spending enough time watching people oppressed. I'm not okay with watching women in Islam be oppressed. I'm not okay with watching people walking around out here thinking that they're going to work, 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 and one day hit the ground, and that's all there is to it. That is an oppressive life, and it's not okay with me. Are you okay with the things you're seeing or something in you saying, no, not anymore. I'm not okay with that. I want to fight for the freedom that God had ordained. So go, I am sending you. What responsibility do you have? Is there somebody that comes to mind? Is there an area of your life you've had a slave master in still that comes to mind? Throw off the chains. Go with me to Jeremiah 1. Put it on the screen. I'll start to read it as soon as it's there. Ninth verse is where we're going to start. Then the Lord reached out His hand and touched my mouth. And He said to me, Now I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy to overthrow, to build, and to plant. Let's rest on the 10th verse. To tear down, uproot, destroy, overflow, and to build and plant. Don't those things seem as if they contradict each other? Those Hivites, those Jebusites, The Lord has called us to be people who set captives free, to plant righteous seeds in hearts and lives, in churches, and in every action. But there is an enemy that must be uprooted first. But the unfortunate, not unfortunate, the truthful aspect of that is it's not just a one-time thing. I uproot sin and I'm done with it. I plant righteousness. It's that I have to continue to uproot anything that might be a fox in my life. I have to continue to uproot anything that might be a fox in our ministry because it's ours. It's not someone else's and I take no responsibility. This is a lighthearted example. You ever seen a public restroom as opposed to your restroom? Isn't there an element of responsibility that is different? Someone is... Who here just... You don't have to raise your hands. Who here, is some, you can think of somebody who's often on cleaning crew, right? Don't raise a hand. If you ever walked in the bathroom and wondered, do these people do this in their own home? Do you not feel as if this has the... Because I, I think of the church as, a, as the exact same way as I do my own home. And when you see somebody treat it as if it's a public restroom, it bothers me a little. It's just, it's just cleaning crew. But those of you who have worked in it notice a difference. A bathroom is a small thing and will not matter for eternity. But the way that we look at the body of Christ and the brothers that are around us, that will echo through eternity. Let's keep going. 
Go to Jeremiah 34. So, in Exodus, we're successful to some extent. Israelites, they're liberated from their slavery. They're planted. Start in the 8th verse. 34, 8th verse. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from... Uh, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to proclaim freedom for the slaves. Can anybody say amen? That was his success. Everyone was to free his Hebrew slaves, both male and female. No one was to hold a fellow Jew in bondage. So all the officials and people who entered into this covenant agreed that they would free their male and female slaves and no longer hold them in bondage. They agreed and set them free. But, afterward, they changed their minds and took back the slaves they had freed and enslaved them again. There's a proverb about a man who retur- or a dog that returns to its vomit like a man who re- returns to his folly. Hebrews 10.26 speaks about a man who knows what's right but continues to deliberately sin. There's a special consequence. At all costs, refuse to go back to slavery. At all cost, Not for a day, not for a night, not for a week, not for an evening of indulging in self. Refuse to go back to slavery. Refuse it. Make it up in your heart. I will not go back the way of Egypt. Not for a horse, not for anything. There is nothing that it can possibly offer me that is worth turning back that way even for a minute because my heart might be ensnared and I go all the way. Just like what happened in Deuteronomy 13. Do you think that these men made the decision to liberate slaves? Think of the American South, where we have fields of cotton. Men's businesses are based upon slave labor. And they decide to liberate them. That was a small decision. Do you think that a split second later, without any contemplation, they decided to take them all back? No, it was a serious thing for a slave to be liberated. For someone to give you your life back, that's not something that's easily given or taken. These men begin to contemplate what it was like having slavery. Just like the Israelites began to contemplate what it was like back in Egypt. And the Israelites almost made it back. They elected a leader. They elected a rebellious aspect of their own heart and they tolerated it. Is there sin that you're tolerating? That maybe it hasn't led to an action yet. In the name of Jesus, it doesn't have to. Is there a thought that you've allowed to kind of circulate back and forth that I haven't actually done it, but, you know, it sure was nice back there. It sure was nice when we didn't have this all-out kind of church life where every evening we were doing something. Don't tolerate anything that might deprive you of what God has called you to. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Fourth verse. For we know, brothers, loved by God. This is definitely true of this room. God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel has come to you, not simply with words, but also with power, 
and with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. You know we li- how we lived among you for your sake. The Spirit of God came, not just with words, but with power and deep conviction. <laughs> Peyton said this the other day, and I had to contemplate it. Sometimes I would rather settle for the fruit of the Spirit or the power of the Spirit or just deep conviction alone. Yet, every bit of it is necessary. We should expect every bit of the fruit of the Spirit on our daily basis. We should expect every bit of the power of the Spirit and the manifestations of it, every gift. And we should expect that your convictions run deep of what God has spoken. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 4th chapter. We have this and one more scripture and we're done. Come pray for Buddy and Kim and see what we're speaking about happen. I want you to listen to something for a minute. If you can bear to hear the truth you have spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools... Or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on the turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your term long after they're gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you keep talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. Neither foe nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. This is not an inspired work. It was written by a Christian man, I believe in the early 1900s. There's a missionary named Stanley Albert Dale that shaped the way that I look at missions. I'm a fan of Stanley Albert Dale. And before he was born again, he used to read that poem. And he grew up uh, in an abusive state with a father that he wasn't sure what it actually meant to be a man, and he clung to that. Then later in life, he realized that the only one who actually could fulfill what he read there was Jesus. No, every other man fell short of that. If you can be crushed for the sake of obedience to Christ... If you can risk it all on the hope of one man being born again, even though it cost you everything, just like Jesus did for you, and not breathe a word about your loss, if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to hold your term long after it thinks it's done, if in 60 seconds that may make up the last 60 years of your life, you can hold a distance run, the earth and everything in it will be yours. And what's more than that, You'd be like the Son of Man. First Corinthians four chapter. Some men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must 
prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. If I can fill my 60 seconds with endurance, if I can fill just the few years that I have that is but a vapor with integrity, with an endurance that can hold on to that which was given, the Lord will judge and I will be found righteous. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me first. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself, to one life, and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying. Do not go beyond what is written. Do not add anything except the God who brought you out of Egypt. Then you will not take pride in one man over or against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. Paul, a man who had demonstrated this in his own life, was addressing a room full of men. But he sees something is stealing from them. You can have everything that Christ wants for you right now. And yet, you feel like you have everything you need, so you're not hungry for it. Are we hungry for all that God has? For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men contemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We're not going to turn anywhere else. If we want to fulfill the call that God has placed on our life, if we want to be men that accept nothing less than the freedom of Christ, every bit of yeast must be removed. And we must not boast or feel as if we're rich when the Lord wants us to be hungry and thirsty and ready for where his next move is. I want to be a man that it was said that whatever my distance run is left, it was done with endurance. It was done with a hungry soul. It was done with one who could not accept slavery any longer and might even be looked at like a terrorist of the world. But when we stand before the King of Kings on that day, those of us who push even beyond what your heart nerve and sinew feels like it can, he will be proud of you and you'll be considered a freedom fighter, one who fought for the freedom of Christ instead of the oppression of this world. If you're in a place where you want to see the gospel abound in your life and it has been stagnant, if you're realizing that you have let slavery in your life and you feel entitled to things that Christ didn't give you, If you're here 
in your most desperate cry is for your brother and to see them sent out with what they need. I ask you to stand with me physically and with an expectation inside of your heart.